Making the World Safer. That's, that's my sermon title. It says it right there. What was I thinking? <laughs> Holy mackerel, that's a huge subject. I don't mean Donald Trump huge either. I mean actually legitimately huge. To even contemplate the topic of what's needed to make the world safe is an, informa- is an invitation to the kind of information overload that's likely to leave one whimpering in a corner and longing for one's childhood blankie. There are so many problems that can concern us. So many ways in which the world is screwed up and needs our care. When you look just at the topics, the world can seem beyond saving. And that's just the topics. The enormity of the problems and their oh-so-elusive solutions are far worse. So let's get the really depressing part out of the way quickly. I found this list of problems facing us on one website I'll go back to later. They had six. War and weapons, especially nuclear. Global warming. Famine. Pandemics. Massive radiation exposure. Okay, I have to look into that one. And cyber attacks. Big enough to give you a headache and strike terror into your heart. That's just one source. One source with notes in the shortest of shorthands. If you really want a bad day, go Google making the world safer. It's not a pleasant search. And I'm sure I don't have to parse those six topics down for you or note that we can add global trade wars or just globalization if that concerns you more or racism, homophobia, health issues, social needs, the fact that women still don't play the roles they should be playing in many nations, gun violence, poverty, potholes, pot, bad drivers, and that hateful person in St. Albert who used racist threats to chase a family out of her cul-de-sac. Or his cul-de-sac. On a global scale or a local scale, there are plenty of things to concern us or perhaps to cower us in our corners. I'm sure many of you were adding your own list of major concerns in your heads. That is, if you're not fighting down your despair at the thought of how many unthinkable threats we are facing. So what are we going to do? Now, I suppose that giving up or ignoring it all is one strategy, and judging by the number of people who choose not to vote in any level of elections... That's a popular choice. And if you're lucky with that choice, you might get through your own lifespan untouched by too many of the world's problems. After all, we at least do have the benefit of living in a comparatively safe country with good infrastructure, enough to eat, and decent lifestyles. But pretending bad things aren't happening or can't happen is not terribly responsible. It's a little like choosing to not insure your home, hoping that there's no accident or fire or break-in. It might work out for you, but it might not. And if if you do roll snake eyes on your gamble, the results can be catastrophic. Of course, caring about making the world safer offers no guarantees either. I expect we've all lent our support to a campaign that appeared to fail or a political candidate that never got near being elected. We've seen progress on so many fronts only to see them struck down by giant setbacks. Human-focused reform 
has done pretty well in recent decades. We have seen much of the world become a more humane place. Human rights are improving, or at least where they're not improving, they're at least becoming an issue because of outside pressure. A culture of sharing aid and looking out for our neighbors has grown. Yet how many times in the last few years have we seen so-called populist governments elected that erect barriers of all kinds, take on me-first policies, and pretend that the challenges facing the world as a whole don't touch them and are not real. It's kind of la-la-la-la-la-la-la on a national scale, and it's pretty depressing. These setbacks have been hard to take. Reading and watching the news can become bad for your mental health, though it's been terribly beneficial for late-night comedians. After all, we may as well laugh instead of cry. But what do we do? Well, first, I think we have to allow ourselves some time for grieving the losses. There have been some terrible setbacks on the path to a better world, and we need to acknowledge them instead of slapping a brave smile on our faces and proceeding as if we are making progress. You see, grieving is the opposite of pretending that nothing bad is actually happening. Grieving is facing the loss, the failures of our efforts to make the world safer. And the losses hurt. And if we don't acknowledge the hurt, it's unlikely we will be able to get past it. And if we don't get past the hurt, then frustration grows. And it turns to a kind of a bitterness and anger that can do more harm than good. Or it leads to complete and utter apathy and that sort of populist me and only me kind of attitude. It leads to seeing anyone who disagrees with your point of view, whatever it may be, as the enemy, as ignorant, as stupid. And instead of discussing our issues reasonably, we can easily turn to name-calling and ad hominem attacks. And there's far too much of that in our political arena already. So first... We need to grieve. And in the grieving, we seek to remember the good. What good there exists in the world, what good people exist in the world. Grieving restores the soul and maybe even perhaps gives us faith in change. My friend and colleague Maureen Kaloran offers this thought. We are called today from the midst of pain and challenge. We are called to praise the world. From a world that appears broken, we are called to praise life moments of joy and grace. From the time that seems to freeze in ongoing exchanges of platitudes and blame, we are called to reach out to those around us, to connect with those we care about, to try and make amends to those we have estranged. The world is too fragile. There is too much pain. Let us bring our hearts together on this day. Let us praise the mutilated world in all of its blessing and all of its pain. The Catholic activist Dorothy Day offered a similar thought about a century ago. People say, what is the sense of our small effort 
They cannot say that we must lay one brick at a time, take one step at a time. A pebble cast into a pond causes ripples that spread in all directions. Each one of our thoughts, words, and deeds is like that. So no one has a right to sit down and feel hopeless. There's too much work to do. Now, here's where I might be getting a little bit sunshiny and unicornish. I do not deny the enormous problems facing us, especially around climate change and the using up of our planet. At the same time, I do look at the history and the advances we have made. Too few people ignore history these days. You may not believe this, but we actually have fewer wars than at any time in our planet's history. And the percentage of the population that have died in those wars has also plummeted, except in recent years in the Middle East. We hear of terrible famines in some parts of the world, and that is tragic. But it's good to also remember that even in the last 20 years, the percentage of global population that is undernourished, according to the UN Food and Agricultural Organization, the percentage of the population that is undernourished has decreased in the last 20 years from 20% of the world's population to 11%. Life expectancy has increased in every country in the world in the last century, although that also means the population has increased. Now again, I'm not denying for a second that we have significant and mind-numbingly large problems, but neither will I forget the progress the human race has made in the last century or two, even if it's brought some troubling unintended consequences. Dorothy Day commented that we can't give in to despair because there's too much work to do. And in the very next reading in our hymnal, there are numbers 560 and 561, Margaret Mead offers, Never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. Earlier in this talk, I named six areas of problems that we're facing. You remember wars, global warming, famines, pandemics, massive radiation exposure, and cyber attacks. Who can forget? They are the topic heads from a website called Project Save the World. It is a Toronto-based citizens' grassroots group that's making an effort to address these six threats in manageable ways. They use online discussions, essays presented under each of those six rubrics from different authorities, and occasional presentations um, and discussions that take place in person if you happen to live in the Toronto area. And their first, their primary aim is just to get conversations going among ordinary people, to increase their education, to give them a place to go when they say, I don't even know where to turn to think about global warming or something like this. They're not activists. They just want people to get good information and then follow their hearts and consciences beyond that. Now, it's small and manageable work for a small group of organizers. They're not killing themselves to do this. And it's very easy for the people who join. And if you believe Margaret Mead, this small group, well, that's the only thing that's ever changed the world. And Project Save the World is founded on the premise of hope. They don't say those words in their website. They don't use that word hope. 
But the very fact that they've made the effort to get people thinking and learning and discussing positive alternatives is by definition a hopeful outlook. And I like that. And I agree with that. And so does one of my favorite UU writers, Richard Gilbert, who uh, we uh, wrote our responsive reading. He has another poem that I've always loved, To Save the World or Savor It. And I will close with that. I rise in the morning, torn between the desire to save the world or to savor it, to serve life or to enjoy it, to savor the sweet taste of my own joy or to share the bitter cup with my neighbor, to celebrate life with exuberant step or struggle for the life of the heavy laden. What am I to do when the guilt of my bounty clouds the sky of my vision. When the glow which lights my every day illumines the hurting world around me. To savor the world or save it. God of justice, if such there be, take from me the burden of my question. Let me praise my plenitude without limit. Let me cast my eyes from all the troubled folk. No, you will not let me be. You will not stop my ears to the cries of the hurt and the hungry. You will not close my eyes to the sight of the afflicted. What is that you say? To save, one must serve. To savor, one must save. The one will not stand without the other. <sighs> Forgive me. In my own preoccupation with myself and my concern for my own life, I had forgotten. Forgive me, God of justice. Forgive me and make me whole. Amen. And the readings for our meditation are by the American poet Langston Hughes. Hold fast to dreams, for if dreams die, life is a broken-winged bird that cannot fly. Hold fast to dreams, for when dreams go, life is a barren field frozen with snow. <laughs>